On today's episode of the Clinical Excellence Podcast, we have Mr. Arthur Taylor and his doctor, Marshall Chin. Integration had just come about. Schools were just converting. Classes were just getting mixed. Medical, they had a segregated waiting room for doctors. They had uh, what they call colored waiting rooms and white waiting rooms. We're back with another episode of the Clinical Excellence Podcast, sponsored by the Buxbaum Institute. On this podcast, we speak to patients and doctors about all aspects of excellence in clinical medicine. I'm Adam Seafew, and today we have a conversation with one of our patients. I'm joined by Mr. Arthur Taylor and Dr. Marshall Chin. Thanks you both so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting us. <laughs> yeah. Um, since we're focusing on Mr. Taylor, I'm going to give a, the briefest of introductions possible to my colleague, Marshall Chin. Dr. Chin is the Richard Perillo Family Distinguished Service Professor of Healthcare Ethics at the University of Chicago. He is also a senior faculty scholar in the Buxfam Institute for Clinical Excellence. I've known Marshall since I arrived here, whatever, 25, 26 years ago. Mr. Taylor, you're, you're on stage for us today. Um, before I ask you questions about your time sort of here as a patient and your relationship with Dr. Chin, can you just tell me a little bit um, of your story? Where are you from originally? Well, <clears throat> my name is Arthur Taylor, Jr., and I was born April 22nd, 1931, and uh, in Chicago. Okay. I was born at St. Luke Hospital. <clears throat> and uh, I've lived here most of my life. Uh, let's see, I, I went to high school here, or half went to high school. I left high school in my second uh, year, after my second year, and went in the military. I volunteered, uh, went in the U.S. Army in 1947. I was 15. And um, I convinced my parents if they would sign for me to uh, go in saying I was 17, <laughs> that I would be able to acquire the GI Bill of Rights, which they had at that date and time. <clears throat> so they did. I, I went into the Army Air Corps, which was, in, was stationed at, um, in San Antonio. Wow. And um, after a short stint in the Air Corps, they made it the Air Force, and I decided I didn't like the Air, uh, the Air Force, so I requested to be transferred to uh, the Airborne. That was a way of leaving the Air Corps. Got it. So I went to the 82nd Airborne Division, the 555th Airborne Infantry Regiment. Uh, that was the all-black um, uh, paratroopers at that time. In the 80s. They were not in the 82nd at that time. But we later became a part of the 82nd Airborne Division, became a paratrooper, and did three years. I was, uh, my MOS was a surgical technician, and I jumped with many sticks. Wow. And that was one of the things. I enjoyed my Army days. Yeah. After discharge, I came back to Chicago and um, entered the University of Illinois at Navy Pier, and then in the summer, got a job with the CTA, Chicago Transit Authority. I put my age up again and uh, went to 77th Street uh, Depot where I got broken on conductor, motorman, one-man cars and buses. So I did that until uh, 1952. And then I left Chicago and went out to Seattle, tried to make a lot of money at uh, Boeing Aircraft. 
that didn't work out, so I came back and went on to Chicago Police Department. Got it. Got it. Uh, are you now telling the truth about your age, or are you still? <laughs> uh, I didn't. I didn't have to change my age, really. <clears throat> I got caught with the CTA. Yeah. Uh, they needed a, a birth certificate. I had a diploma already. Yeah. Because I had, had taken my GED. But anyway, <clears throat> when the uh, superintendent sent me down, he said. You have to produce it for, for your insurance purposes. You have to have a birth certificate or something. So I go down and I gave him my real birth certificate <laughs> and uh, my army discharge. He looked at both. He said, you were a paratrooper? You, you've been lying for the last three years? <laughs> he said, well, just shut your mouth. I'm going back to the depot. <laughs> <laughs> because you had to be 21 sure. <laughs> to have... Chauvin's right since I was just 19. Sure. So he didn't see nothing, so that, that uh, went on. I love it. I love it. So that part is over, and I went on to the police department, uh, and I did 10 years with them. Got it. I enjoyed that. I was in the district, and uh, I worked the district, 2nd District, 29th and Prairie. Yeah. That was from uh, 16th Street to 39th from the lake to Dan Ryan. Then I went to the Detective Bureau of Robbery Detail and spent some time there. Let's see, a couple of years there. And then left, and the reason that I left is because when I went to a reunion down in Fort Bend in Georgia, I ran into one of my uh, NCOs who was in service with me. We had been to Korea, and uh, our outfit got his outfit out of some difficulties. So he asked me, uh, <clears throat> what was I doing? I said, I'm with CPD. He said, how much you making? I said, 9500 He said, how, how would you like to start at 17000 <laughs> I said, and who, you, and who are you crapping with? Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, he said, I'm this legit. <clears throat> he gave me his card. His daddy was the vice president of General Motors. So uh-huh. <laughs> I went over to General Motors in uh, LaGrange. Okay. They just told me, uh, hey, sign here. And so for the next 30-something years, I was with General Motors. Wow. I went up the ranks. Got it. And I got to be uh, a superintendent of uh, Danville plant. Got it. And retired. Got it. So you retired from General Motors. I, remember, I retired from General Motors. Got it. Uh, I retired in 96. Okay. Then I came back to Chicago. I had a, I hooked up with the University of Chicago. Dr. Chin came along about 2000. Okay. Somewhere in that period, he became my doctor. We immediately hooked up. Got it. And one of the reasons is he looked at me and looked at my my sheet and said, "Well, what can I do for you?" <laughs> I told him, "Well, listen, I don't want you to be make me forty, but I want to know, can you make me the best 80? Yeah. He said, "I can do that." So we hooked up from that point. We've never had a problem. Sure. We're straight up, and um, have had a great. Relationship with my doctor, my wife, she is also his patient. Got it. And we referred many, many uh, patients to him because of his excellent care, uh, his sensitivity to his patients and their needs. Yeah. And uh, so I can't, can't say enough. About yeah. So let me ask you, you're, you're amazing because as I write down questions as you talk, you then go on and answer the question that I was going to ask you. But obviously, I mean, you've had lots of doctors over the years, I'm sure. Um, it sounds like you and Dr. Chin sort of hit it off real quickly. Um, what was it about him that, 
you know, put you at ease and made you comfortable and made you want to stick with them, I guess? Well, he was very honest about it because, hey, at the time, uh, I was a senior citizen. Yeah. I recognized I was a senior citizen. And so he asked me, he said, uh, how do you classify yourself? Excellent? Good? Fair? What's your, what's your condition? I said, well, I feel that I'm fair. I'm a little better than fair. So he said, well, in your age group with all the friends that you have, how do you feel? Do you feel better than them? Worse or what? So I said, I'm at the top of the line on that. I said, I'm still doing everything I want. He said, well, that's good. And so I noticed he uh, was able to ask me questions that uh, it was easy for me to answer. And so... That's when I asked him, could he keep me at the same age, or keep me up? And he said, oh, yeah, I can do it. Do that. I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your expectations are where I can deal with it. And from that, we formed a friendship. Uh, not only that, on the conversations, anything that I had to ask him, he gave me an honest answer. And the same thing for me. Did you see him first or did your wife see him first? I did. I did. And um, when you... I guess, sort of suggested to your wife, hey, I saw somebody new, there's someone for you to see. What did you tell her? What was... Well, I say, hey, you're going to like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. because uh, she, uh, this is my second marriage. Uh, my first wife, uh, I married her in 53. She passed in 07. Okay. So that's uh, 54 years. Yeah. That was a difficult situation. And um, I mean, to lose her after that period of time. Of course. And I'm trying to think... If you, if she was your patient, and I don't think she was, I don't think she was. Okay, and then it took me three years to get remarried. Okay. And I've been married now 13 years to my current wife. Got it. And she was living in Michigan. Okay. So I was glad that the medical services they were receiving where she was, she had to go to 60 60 miles to a... Oh, boy. Uh, she was in Dwarjack, and I think she had to go to South Bend, yeah. so forth and on. So when we got married, then when she came here, I immediately requested uh, if Dr. Chin would uh, receive her as a patient, and he did. Terrific. And then a question, and I often ask my patients this. Um, you know, you've obviously seen a lot in life and a lot in medicine. I mean, I'm sure your experience with medicine in the Army and afterwards you know, is another world from where we are today. What what have you sort of seen change that you appreciate as kind of good changes or maybe things that should have changed for the worse over time? Well, the youngsters nowadays, they're too smart. <laughs> <clears throat> and they academically smart. Dr. Chen has, uh, he has uh, interns, yep. residents of all types. And I, I can evaluate the youngsters when they come in. Don't misunderstand and like I say, clinically, they are right on point. Yeah. Uh, but what they have to learn <clears throat> is they have to ask questions. And sometimes I tell them that. I say, hey, I know you know it all. You're the smartest they got. You're the biggest, smartest institution. Yeah. <clears throat> but you have to communicate with your patient. Yeah. You have to get their confidence, et cetera. So I work on them like that. And <laughs> surprise them a little bit. I ask them where they're from. I go through yeah, the history. Yeah, yeah. And we get down to it, uh, make a little contact with them. Yeah. Now, I have a granddaughter. She is uh, finishing up her, uh, she's, she's a doctor. She's from uh, Green Bay. Okay. 
she went to uh, uh, Mad- University of, uh, at Madison, uh, Wisconsin. Yeah. And, but she decided, I thought she was going into F, uh, sports medicine, but she decided she wants to be a pathologist. Huh. So now she's finishing up her last couple of weeks down in Phoenix and Arizona, wherever the specialty is, and she's coming back and uh, she's going to do her practicing in Wisconsin. That's oh, wonderful. Well, she's going to be ordered. Uh, I don't know what she's going to do, but she can do what she wants. But so based on that, I'm only trying to say, when I look at these students, second year, third year, yeah. it's easy for me to talk to them. Yeah. My sense is also from the way you said it that you feel like you can read these people pretty quickly and feel like, oh, this is someone who I connect with or not. Is that true? That's no question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the kids are kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't mean they're smart kids. Right, right. <clears throat> But they are kids. Yeah. Well, we we struggle <laughs> with, I think, that teaching. And are there things that you can sort of identify that you feel like, oh, you know, this is what makes someone someone who I can instantly connect with, even across, what is it, 60 years, you know, age difference with these oh, young doctors? Yes, because I have, I've got five children. My oldest is 69. Then I had 68, 65. Uh, one of them would be 62, and I think I have 158. Okay. <clears throat> and we were family-oriented, yeah. meaning we grew up in a Catholic family, yeah. meaning they all went to Catholic school, same classmates for eight years. So I'm still in contact with all of those families. And so you get around, that means you're in a social environment with children of all ages, et cetera, et cetera. And um, we're still in contact, and they're from doctors to lawyers to Indian chiefs, and, <laughs> and some have been to jail, and some have been. <laughs> so I only say it like that. <clears throat> when you talk to a youngster, and I call them, I can say youngsters yeah, too, sure. you can see where their goals and objectives are. Yeah. If they're on track, yeah. if, they are, if you're talking to them, and they'll reveal whether they know it or not. Uh, and you can see, based on your experience of children that you've known, if your oldest child is 69, you've seen a lot of children in between. Them. Right. They can't BS too much out of you. And you tell them that up front. And when they come, with, you say, hold it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> That's the best I can say for That's you. That's great. Um, I'm going to let Dr. Chin ask a couple of questions, but I had one more, um, maybe a little bit more specific question. Um, you know, in, in the medical care that you've experienced over your life, are there times that, you know, medicine, the care you've received has sort of, you know, let you down, that we haven't done as good a job as you'd hoped for whatever reason, whether it be, uh, you know, in the way the doctors relate to you or the way the care is provided, where we've fallen short that we can that we can learn from? Well, <clears throat> I can't complain. I'm going to rate the University of Chicago as a 10 plus. I've been to a lot of hospitals over the country. I've been in a lot of Small towns yep. where they don't just don't have the facilities. Sure. Uh, I've, not only that, uh, depending on the system or where you are, uh, I went south in 1970 to open a plant. And uh, this is when you were with GM. Yeah. 
And uh, what happened was the way things were, integration had just come about. Schools were just converting. Classes were just getting mixed. Medical, uh, they had a segregated uh, waiting rooms for doctors. They had uh, what they call colored waiting rooms and white waiting rooms. And I had an incident because my job was manager of manufacturing. All the supervisors reported to me. I reported to the plant manager. And that being said, we were buying houses, bringing people in, and everyone had to get a doctor. And so we went to see to the Jackson, uh, Tennessee uh, clinic, this particular doctor, he was going to not only be our doctor at, at first, he's going to have all of our employees to give them physicals. Okay. And as soon as I got there to see his facilities, I saw this, this big division. So I reported it back to my plant manager, and that means it was going to corporate. And he says, some of the Southerners who were familiar with this situation, who worked uh, in personnel and other different places, said, well, what do you mean it's, a, it's their prejudice downstairs? I said, I'll tell you one reason. You have an identification for Jackson Clinic? Yes. So I said, pull it out. So what it was, all white, all my white employees had Mr. So-and-so. And the four black supervisors I had, their names were Arthur Taylor. So my plan said, what? So he made a phone call. We got these kind of things. But also at the same time, as he examined our prospective employees, black employees always had high blood pressure, murmurs, et cetera, et cetera. It was just evident to me. Yeah. Wasn't evident to other people until I brought it to their attention. Yeah. Uh, so services around the country are different. Yeah. We'd have to go to different. Uh, we we didn't need at that date and time. I didn't need any medical real yeah. uh, medical treatment at that time. But uh, the racial situation in the uh, medical field has changed since 1970, in my opinion. That's the only thing I can be witness to. Sure. Uh, how people treat you um, at the reception desk to the finished product yeah, yeah. is another thing. What I'm saying, when you get a good reference to go to get your uh, get an X-ray, uh, you run into certain situations, and you, either you, I evaluate them every time I go in. Sure. I give sure. them a five, two, six, seven, or yeah, ten, yeah. or whatever. But I know, and I train my children to be the same. They're all professionals, and uh, we've been able to carry that through. Uh, on the race horse thing, I've never had a big problem, any problem with it. That's me personally. My children were trained to be able to handle that type of situations, yeah. and they've all been in integrated communities. Yeah, well, we, in 1970, we left Chicago and we uh, were the first blacks to integrate West Tennessee. We okay. bought a house. Nobody threw a rock or threw an egg at our house. Yeah. However, the FBI was flying in helicopters <laughs> over our heads, but we never had a problem. So the integration went well. Uh, and I became the uh, vice president to the association of the whole northern part of the county. Uh, but that, that took work. 
I imagine when you were doing that work in 1970, you know, setting people up with the physicians, I imagine that you really impacted the health care that those employees were getting. No question. Yeah. For example, we had one young lady, I'm trying to think, who was failed. She was actually failed. And I think she had uh, inverted ovaries. Okay. And he re- and I waved her anyway. Got it. Uh, and the reason I waved her is because she told me, she said, Mr. Taylor, I got four, five children, don't have a husband. <laughs> I need a job, and they won't let me get one. Yeah. They're going to keep me on this welfare support. So when she goes in, it's inverted her ovaries or whatever it was. Um, when her thing came back, I wavered that and called uh, the particular doctor. And he wanted, I said, whoa, I'm not going there with you. Yeah. So uh, what I did do is change doctors. <laughs> I got to change that. Uh, I knew the law. I knew how what we could do. And I had the uh, chairman of the board back in what we were doing. Yeah. So uh, I took a different approach to that. But things started to work out surprisingly. When you, when you run into those kind of problems and you start working with people turn out to be okay. Sure. <clears throat> I'm sorry I got into that. <laughs> the more the better. <laughs> so I want to ask you, Mr. Taylor, that so I, I've learned a lot from you that, you know, you're you're almost like 90, you're about 90 years old. And so you've seen a, a lot of the world and a lot of life. And we got some sense of that over the past 20 minutes. And uh, uh, I want to follow up on that, the question Dr. Sifu asked, that uh, navigating the healthcare system as a man, navigating the healthcare system as an African-American man, and, you know, you, you talked about Jim Crow and the South and, you know, there are issues now today, too, in terms of, you know, yeah. a man, African-American man, you know, navigating the system. Um, how have you succeeded? Because you know, I think like like you have an incredibly high amount of emotion, emotional intelligence and like people skills, you're very good way with people. And so, you know, what is this challenge that, you know, you face as an African-American man navigating the system? And then how have you succeeded? How have you taught your children to succeed in the system? Well, my mother and father got married in 1930. My father worked for the railroad. He started working on the railroad when he was 15. But uh, as I grew up, we had I had uh, three siblings. I was the oldest. And my father would tell me when he, he says, Junior, when I leave out of this house, you're the man of the house. Now, whatever your mother wants done, you do it. <laughs> And he put a responsibility on me that I had to accept. That was take care of my siblings, take care of my mother, et cetera. And I only say that in, in when you receive responsibilities, either you accept them or you don't. I've been always the person who did not mind taking on the challenge. And um, I was in the Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, all that. Went in the military. Uh, I'll tell you, if you're 15... With all men, you have to hold your own. And I mean, or they'll run over you, but I didn't allow that. I just held my own. And uh, I started being promoted. I was a buck sergeant when I got out. And when in paratroopers, you don't get ranked. They don't give it to you. You have to earn it. Trust me. Uh, But one of the things, I'd been in ROTC in high school. And when we were in class, one of the instructors came in, <clears throat> just in basic training, and he says, we're in map reading course, and does anyone here know what a map is? 
And of course, everybody froze. So you, in basic training, you better not say very much. You don't volunteer nothing. So nobody, he said, you mean to tell me that nobody knows what this, this up on the wall is? I raised my hand. So he pointed out, what is it? I said, that is a graphical representation of an area of land drawn to scale on a piece of paper. He said, what'd you say? <laughs> so I repeated it. Okay. He said, stay right here. So he was a buck sergeant. He went and got staff and everybody else, and I had to repeat that. I became PFC. And I said, sure, you know, if you know your stuff, you might be able to get <laughs> you might. But I, I, I say that only to say my training has trained me <clears throat> not to tell people what to do. You have to learn the job yourself. And in my case, I always one of those people, if you're doing it, I want to know how you did it. And I, I follow through and I learn how to do that particular job. That's on my work job. But I expect that basically out of my professional people that I deal with. Uh, I was fortunate. Uh, in Danville, Illinois, we had a black doctor went to Meharry, uh, Fred Clarkett, and uh, his children were the same age as mine. So we just moved into town. He said, hey, brother, we hooked up right away. He was one of the smartest doctors I met. And the reason he was smart, because when he, whatever you went in to see Fred Parker about, he said, Doc, uh, I don't feel good. Uh, my chest is hurt. My stomach is hurt. He said, whoa, that's rough. He said, you go into the hospital tomorrow. I'm going to make out these old. He never would diagnose him on your visit. Yeah. He would send you to the hospital. And then when you came back with the results, which came back pretty fast then, he became a genius. <laughs> and uh, I say that only to say, he always, he said, bro, we got to do this here. You got to work this here, so on. And, and uh, he did that with all of my family. But so for 20 some years, I was with him. So when I came here, I had been familiar with being around. I'm not shy of doctors. Yeah. And I say that because so many people, when they come to see a doctor, they are frightened. Around the country, it is more so. Um, depending on what type of uh, uh, medical education or whatever. But I've had doctors say, you're not from around here. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, you don't just accept it. That, that, that's basically <laughs> what they're saying. Right. <clears throat> and then the facilities, do they have the facilities to do it? I don't want to go off on a tangent on it, but I look at black people around the country who are not getting proper medical attention. It's either they're not intelligent enough to know that they have to talk to somebody about it or they keep away from it. And it's the way it's always been. It's also one of the hardest things, I think, for us as doctors, right, to you know empower people and get people comfortable asking for the things that they want, right? Because right. often people come into the office and are hesitant to either be honest about what's bothering them or ask for the things that they need. That's absolutely right. I've talked to so many patients. I said, did you tell your doctor? Oh, I, no, I didn't tell him. Well, I said, well, why didn't you tell him? Write it. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> and I tell him, well, write it down. Yeah. And get there and hand him the list. 
Dr. Chen, his, uh, my wife's uh, relatives, uh, they come, and they are really medically ignorant in terms of what they need. And it, it, it's the, I'm not going to suggest the education, just the way, it, that's the way it was. Doctor, period. I think Marshall and I are probably the same, that we've said, I love lists more than anybody in the world. Because when, come, when people come in and have you know, written out all of their concerns, boy, it makes life easy for us to be yeah. able to say, okay, I'm gonna, I can go through those and make sure we tackle everything on this visit. There's another question, Mr. Taylor, that, you know, 90 years and so, like, like, like anyone, you've had your life journey and you had your life health journey. And at times that uh, we've needed to expand the medical team when, you know, uh, an issue rises, right? Sure. So it's getting to know, like, a new team of, of doctors and nurses and all. And so what, what does that all sort of, like, mean in terms of then, like, um, you know, the doctor-patient relationship and and how it evolves over time and what happens when, like, the team gets larger and, you know, there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen and stuff. And so, like, um, what have you learned as a patient where you're earning um, how to sort of be effective as a patient, again, sort of navigating that system and, you know, getting the best possible outcome for yourself? Well, you have to be knowledgeable yourself, first of all. When I grew up, we had two doctors, Dr. Jones and uh, Dr. Miller. And no matter what happened, the kid falls, breaks his arm, gets, my dad got cut uh, on his hand. Doctor comes with a bag, takes care of it. That's the end of that. Follow up, you go to see him at, in his office or something like that. Uh, I guess what you're asking me, I, I've had, always had bad skin, acne, uh, sebaceous cysts, and things of that order. And I went to see a doctor, T.K. Lawless. He was a world-renowned dermatologist. He, uh, black, Creole, from Louisiana. He could not go to college in Louisiana, so they paid his tuition to get him out of state, to send him up to University of Iowa, where he got his uh, his degrees and et cetera. And uh, as it turned out, he, he just went to the top of it. He went to Berlin and he became over there. As a matter of fact, there's a clinic in uh, Israel right now named after him. <laughs> so surprisingly, he and I hooked up because he was treating my particular case and he, he really treated it. He taught me a lot about doctors, lawyers, and Indian chiefs. <laughs> I mean, we became friends, and he was a hard man to get along with. But he, he was a, did you ask him this? Do you do this? You got to go over here. And he would, he liked Michael Reese Hospital at that time. Well, that was the only one at that. He said, go to Michael Reese and get this done. <laughs> and he'd send me a slip in there. And I think I went to him a hundred sometimes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And when my kids came, he took care of them and all that. And um, he gave he educated me about how you deal with uh, professionals yeah. Yeah. in a lot of ways, yeah. you know. So and I've been around people who, uh, like you say, doctors, lawyers, and I listen. Yeah. You know? But did I answer your question to your satisfaction? Yeah. Basically, okay. Well, ask me because I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I want to thank both of you so much, both Dr. Chin and Mr. Taylor, for taking time out with me today. Really appreciate you answering all these questions for us. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Clinical Excellence Podcast. We are sponsored by the Buxbaum Institute for Clinical Excellence at the University of Chicago. Please feel free to reach out to us with your thoughts and ideas on the Buxbaum Institute Twitter page. The music for the Clinical Excellence Podcast is courtesy of Dr. Malin Martinez. <laughs>